Welcome, bienvenue, to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is a show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Rents, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we are developing that help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. Talking about the All-Stars run-up right now is the logical extension of what we were talking about two weeks ago when we said that there's no real baseball news. They've manufactured baseball news now. There it is. Yep. True. And it is it is in the form of promotion for the All-Star game. And I just could not care less <laughs> about this. I know. I'm not really big. In, All-Star game is not something that we're really huge on to start with. And then, yeah, like right now, I I do like that everything is purple. And I was like, what is this in Colorado or something? Oh, yeah, it is. Okay, good. Nice. Yeah. Good branding, at least. So there was probably just a big cut line right there in which we went way off topic really fast. A little bit of geography, a little bit of, um, little bit of theorizing, which I guess goes to show how much we really care about the All-Star game. But let's, so let's dive into why don't you just talk about i'm excited for otani but who are you excited about but but that's not i mean okay that's all-star week stuff because i assume you mean that you're excited about otani in the home run derby well that too but yeah i mean i'm excited to see like is does he also pitch yeah I, does he hit and pitch? i mean what what does it matter if you pitch in the all-star game for your you know three batters that you face <laughs> i know but that would be kind of cool yeah so i mean but that kind of just belies, like, if you're going to make that happen in the All-Star game, like, you're just kind of leaning into the gimmick nature of the All-Star game. And that that's what that's what I'm generally out on. And so this this three weeks of run-up that we're going to have... Does the commission think that baseball is anything more than a gimmick? Um, no, probably not. That's a fair statement. But it's just like this three-week run-up is just, uh, okay, I I don't know. I would just rather watch baseball accumulate some stats. I don't, I'm not even sure that I need an all-star game other than I appreciate that it gives the also-rans some actual time off. Yeah, but I mean, it doesn't really give... I guess MLB all-star game is a little bit better than NBA for giving a little bit of... It gives a little bit of time off for even the good players. Yep. You know, whereas like the, the NBA all-star game is like kind of rough for the for the all-stars yeah michael i'm officially ice ice cold oh boy in calling euros games now the question is can i keep that going enough that you can predict by just going against me so i was thinking i actually had this exact same thought i was thinking you're so ice cold that we might need to go the other way but that never works it never works you cannot keep your head straight on that one. It's Croatia that did well last uh, World Cup, yes. right? I haven't watched a single Croatia game this, even though they played England. I haven't watched a single game. I was actually thinking France and Croatia. You were thinking France and Croatia. Well, then I definitely. Well, the thing is that I really, I really think it's got to be France. I don't. I don't want to like. 
I would I will happily go against your wisdom and pick Spain. But I don't I don't know what to I, I just I can't can't do Switzerland. That doesn't feel good. I don't really want to pick against you here. Well, you picking against me doesn't necessarily make you right. No, I I know, but in, in these in these. Well, but I, I I guess what I'm trying to say is like we're trying to gain information that we didn't have before to to make intelligent picks, and uh, you know we're trying to debate if we're in the range where we can just go straight against what you said. <laughs> I don't I don't no, think we are. I, I actually I for the record I I don't think we are. I don't think we can just go against what you're picking even though you're currently ice cold so did you complete the fall of gondola i did i loved the second half of this book like i loved all the material in the second half it was super compelling get me to the last version get me to the sketch like in the conclusion was amazing this the conclusion of the sketch of the mythology that's exactly what i wanted this whole time we'd read we'd read three books to get to what i think was my favorite part of all three books (laughs) wow there you go isn't isn't it amazing how he really this one is sort of the fall of gondolin is really interesting because you have you have the initial sketch from the fever dream from tolkien and then all he does the entire time is just add on to it and then put it into the context of this world that he's creating each time he's changing these little elements to try to like fit into the world but the essentially the story is the same thing and that's what that's what Chris talks about in the the last section is really just like him going through a bunch of the things you've probably already noted yourself. What would the Silmarillion look like if Christopher Tolkien had written it now or Christopher Tolkien had put it all together now? Like how different would it be? Yeah. Like now that he's now that he's now that he's found all these other notes, you know, what would happen? Well, cuz he sketches out these three stories in the Silmarillion. Yes. And what does he call it? That's a Quenta version, yeah. is what he calls them. Quenta right? Noldori. It's a good. It's a good question because I, I think that I I like the Silmarillion and dislike the Silmarillion in that it's like Silmarillion is like we're battered over the head with so much information <laughs> yeah. that you just kind of like and and it goes from being this sort of like you're reading the you're reading the Bible and then all of a sudden you're reading these like you're reading these histories. And you don't really know where the two, you kind of, they're chapter sections, but you kind of get lost in it. Yeah. This is, but this is a Silmarillion, right? I think if he had written this, he wouldn't, the whole point is that he wouldn't have written the Silmarillion one book. He would have written the Quenta, not even the, not, not even the, so all the things that he's, he's parsed out, these three main stories of, of men, he would have parsed out of it. I sort of agree. I mean, the thing that I, the other thing that I was thinking is like, you know, Christopher Tolkien lays out how his father wanted to have the Lord of the Rings and what I guess he was calling the Silmarillion come out at the same time. And reading these stories and knowing the Silmarillion, I have no idea how that actually would have happened. Like Lord of the Rings is like a start to finish story. But this is like, I don't know how you would put this together in a start to finish story. Is are these three stories then? Is that what the Silmarillion was from a start to finish story? Well, it kind of can't be, right? I mean, I, I also, upon reading the conclusion, felt like a big letdown because you need you need to know what happens with Erendil. <laughs> like you need the Erendil story. Actually, the three stories have to go together because in in the terms of a three act play, it's 
they're they're playing out the three act play. Baron and Lithian has sort of like the the high ending, and then the second act has the like uh, the the sorrow, and then the third act ends with the hope, and then the triumph that leads on to. But really, it's a four, it's four yeah. it's four acts because Arendil is his own his own piece, and I think that might be part of the problem they always ran into is it's like though this story. That's what I'm getting at. I'm not. I'm not saying it's not important because Tor, the t- story of Tor and the fall of Gondolin is 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 very vital f- for the one reason I'm saying. But I'm saying if you cut it out, if you cut out that one piece of it, it makes it so much less important. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I I will I will buy that. And there's so much that that you don't. There's so much in this story that you don't necessarily need to actually see. Yeah. This week, I wanted to chat about uh, the closer hunt, which is something that's near and dear to both of our uh, hearts right now. Maybe yours even a little bit more so than mine. Uh, and I thought we'd Not do hunting. it by way of a couple specific things. Mainly, I'll do update the innings pitched projections, uh, check in how we're doing on that, if there's any surprises. Talk about the limitations of using that and what it's not helpful for, particularly closers. And then some... Mm-hmm tool scraping development for trying to identify new closers, which is still in its infancy. So we'll kind of kick it around. I have a figure here for you checking in on the innings pitched projections. This figure does not look appreciably different than the last time we saw it, which is kind of nice because that I think I want to go backwards in time and figure out when this leveled off. Okay. You know, when, when did it start looking essentially like you expect it to look where You've got you've got this mass of closers that are or this mass of relievers that are on the expected track. Anybody getting between zero and a hundred innings pitched, <laughs> basically, who is projected to get between zero and a hundred innings pitched and is on track to get between zero and a hundred innings pitched. Then you've got the starters who are largely converging to their projected line, maybe a little more slowly than you might expect. Yeah, a couple. Yeah, there's a there's a group that's under. There's a group that's over. The group that's over is like not as wild as the group that's under, I think. What gave you the group? I gave you the list of the group that's over here. Yep. I'm seeing and, this. And uh, oh, well, I guess I guess I should say that we we've, we've come down from the we have come down from the lofty heights of projecting somebody for 240 innings. Like that that's no longer happening. Yeah. The yeah. Well, you mean on, on track. track? Sorry, yeah, on track for uh, that's that's no longer happening. We're now under. I don't think anyone even has over two twenty anymore. I saw someone with two twenty. Oh no, two eleven. So I think we're coming. So we're coming down closer to what we expect. I mean, I still think the odds on money should be on somebody amassing over two hundred innings. Even though I will remind everyone that in the projected forecasts at the beginning of the year, we did well. <laughs> we did not have. Uh, we did not have anyone projected for more than 200 innings sorry i was trying to sorry dear listeners i was trying to distract michael by um highlighting someone that he has slated for overproduction on track for 181 innings uh, but tyler glass now will not hit i am not slating these people for it i am telling you these are what the numbers are saying right now i'm this is what the number says i'm just reporting on the numbers I mean, obvi- the, obviously, the danger the, the danger of looking at anyone who's overproducing in number of innings right now is that an injury could happen at any time. Right. The 
yeah, a couple of these, I was thinking that's that, that exact thing, you know, yeah. if they're yeah. overproducing that right now, that's because they have not yet hit the anomalous period that was expected in their projection that was going to lower their number. So like I'm, I'm highlighting Adam Wayne, yeah. right? like he's old enough that you just have to bake in. He's going to be out for three weeks and going to miss two, two to four starts at some point in the season. So the fact that he's on track for 193 innings, but his projection was 141 still feels about right. You know, <laughs> still feels about right that by the end of the season, he's, he, he will converge on something closer to that 141. I, I think that's right. I mean, it's a, so I guess what I'm looking at now is should we, should we look at these as just high variance guys? Are these all high variance guys where it's like, Oh, at some point they're going to put together, like they're going to converge back to what we expect or are there guys on this list where we actually believe no they're they're more valuable uh than we than we thought they would be originally because we believe their totals no i think that i think that this list is great to then go through and then manually pluck a couple of these guys who it's like okay adam wainwright no he's actually still on track because of what i said that anomalous piece nady Evaldi. Uh, same yep. thing. He's it's similar thing in that like Native Evaldi, we all know he is a good pitcher when he's healthy. And so he doesn't really stay healthy a whole ton. I mean I have I don't know how many times over the years I picked up Nady Evaldi, had the one start and then had the like the little red um <laughs> DL or IL, you know, next to him with all of a sudden you're like, are you serious? And then he tries and then he takes two rehabs two rehab starts and he's back in he has one half game and then he's either back on the dl or not the pitcher that you wanted him to be so i think it is looking through these and being like, okay who who do we think is different from what had been in the projections like i would say tywin walker and walker bueller <laughs> that's yeah that's great there. um the <laughs> those are two guys that those numbers do suggest something is different right i mean tyron walker we don't really think of as an injury as an injury guy right not hugely no i mean if you i i'm kind of surprised looking at this now with the benefit benefit of putting him next to adam wainwright right you're saying okay we originally projected them within one inning pitch of each other like like actually that i mean i guess in a vacuum those both make sense but now i'm much more confident halfway in the season saying oh no Tywin Walker is more likely to get that 176 than Adam Wainwright is to get 193 <laughs> yep yo absolutely but Walker Bueller 202 is that in range for him I absolutely I think so yeah and I think that the reasons why that we were under we were projecting for something lower than that were what Dodgers yep. messing around with, with pitchers and it looks like he's he's going to be um just the Dodger situation, he might actually be able to get more innings. Two was was there going to be some sort of regression? He's still a young pitcher, and sometimes young pitchers just have that season that that cuts back. Um, were three were they going to be so far ahead that they were going to start at like cutting their pitchers' innings a little bit? So I think there are a lot of reasons that people were like, "No, I'm going to pull back my innings pitched assumption on Walker, Walker Bueller." And now it does look like he's going to be a 200-inning pitcher this yeah. year. That was a good aside, considering that the thing that I actually wanted to talk to you about was 
what's going on with closers and what we can do there. Because this is a great tool, but it, it's useless for evaluating relievers. It is not. Oh, uh, yeah. Not, well, I guess I shouldn't. I shouldn't say useless, but it's 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 very not helpful for evaluating for evaluating closers specifically. If you wanted to, if you wanted to pick up pitchers, this is a useful tool because you can look and see okay who's actually getting used um, in in long reliever times, but not so for these stated roles. All right, one thing that we did in the past was uh, highlight the importance of velocities in closers or. At least, at least for the people that are named closers. So I thought what I would do was get back into our velocity scraping, uh, sl- entering it in a slightly different way. And I was trying to think, what's a product that we can provide that goes above and beyond what Baseball Savant gives you? Because Baseball Savant gives you okay. single numbers, right? Eas- very easily. Um, and so I was trying to think, well, what, what can we do? What, what are summary statistics that we can provide and I wanted to do some dividing it up by team to try and look at, okay, on certain teams that have closer by committees right now, is there somebody that we can identify that might be the most likely candidate for the long term? I picked two teams for you for case studies. It's not hard to do other teams, so we can do whoever we want. I picked Minnesota and I picked Seattle because if you can tell me who's going to get the most saves for Minnesota for the rest of the year, yeah, I, I honestly don't know who that is. And I think we can make some guesses and I think this is going to help us make some guesses. There you go. You highlighted him. No, I was, I was highlighting that I forgot that we needed to spend the opening on Hansel Robles horses. <laughs> but look at this. I mean, he's he's got the horses. His he's got the second highest <laughs> median <laughs> median fastball velocity in the Twins bullpen. Yeah, and he's the only pitcher here that. Well, he's the pitcher here that I saw below a, a game for the Twins in the way that like Hansel Robles does. I'm not saying that he won't do that. I'm just telling you, I'm just, so, so I mean, this, this is the discussion that I, all of his prancing horses did not help him get. This is, and I should say that that is his walk up, his, his like not walk up, but whatever his intro video is the horses and lightning and thunder. And it's just this, and there's fire other places in the stadium. It's just, you just don't know what's happening or why. And then he goes up, he throws really hard, and then it's like he's a classic guy of like two out of three pitches are good. And the third pitch, wow. If they connect with but it, you, it's but gone. What, it's, what's it's, crazy it's, to me is that he's not actually the hardest pitcher in that bullpen. No, uh, I didn't, and I didn't even realize that. Who is this? Jorge Alcala? And oh, he's he's uh-huh. appeared in 31 games this year. Because what what I, so what I'm showing you the way that I wanted to try and go above baseball savant, or at least uniquely package our data, is to for each player look at their four seam fastball, which is mostly indicative of like the elite closers. Look at their four-seam fastball. See if the if the velocities are bouncing all over the place. If they're decreasing. If they're going up. Like what's what's just happening as they appear in or as they show up in every game. Uh, and what you can see is that these two guys that have have sort of largely been in the the closer discussion. Alex Calme has fallen out of the closer discussion for for reasons that seem to be obvious when you look at this <laughs> at this chart. Uh, Jorge Alcala and Hansel Robles are the top two guys, and they look relatively consistent. But Alcala throws harder, on average, half a mile an hour. Yeah, no, I think I, I think he came in the game on 
Monday against Cincinnati and looked fine. He got a strikeout, but he um, he made it interesting. <laughs> Every single Twins reliever makes it interesting, which is why we actually have to talk about what the heck are we going to do to pick to identify it to get saves out of that team. <laughs> so I'm looking at this. I mean, right. So I think. What I've decided definitively from this and Seattle, who we should also discuss, is that you can you can immediately strike the guys on the lower part of this, like Caleb Fieldbar and Tyler Duffy. They're not going to be good. They're not going to be closer candidates. They're just not throwing hard enough. Duffy's velocity is going down, like pretty conclusively. Yeah, no, that's a, that's an interesting piece that that we need to talk about. Is his is going down? Well, and so is. Um... Is that all? Is, and Colum is right above Colum him. A, is right. going. Colum a yeah, is in blue. We don't. I. I don't like Colum a. He appeared to have put it together for a tiny bit, and then it's coming back down. And those two miles an hour that he lost from the start of the season till now, <laughs> that's a big deal if you're a closer. It is. I, well, that actually is right over the threshold, yeah. right? As yep. well, it's at ninety-five to ninety-three spot. Really, really, really changes things. So it's. So to me, I think the takeaway is that it's pretty clear that you want either Alcala or Hansel Robles to be your, to be the person who's trying to actually get swings and misses. They both seem to be doing a good job, and and actually I noticed this inspecting a lot of these over time. The the pitchers that you want have actually been increasing. There is a characteristic you can see that they've kind of gotten in the zone. <laughs> I think for the yeah. like they started a little slower and they've they've ticked up by maybe a mile an hour over the season so that's sort of what i'm looking for when i'm evaluating candidate closers right now i think that makes sense do we have time to go over seattle we can briefly go over seattle i think which is a tire fire basically as far as i can tell there's no they so right to get to catch everyone up to speed on what seattle's up to there's rafael montero there's kenyon middleton there's kendall graveman have largely gotten the saves this year they all yeah. throw in that range where you want your closer to be. Kendall Graveman kind of throws the hardest. But Yeah, 95, 96. So I think I think we can say that, okay, those three are probably the candidates, except for this guy, JT Chargois, <laughs> who Good I name. never heard of. Never heard of before, but he's thrown in that same in that same range. But we can rule out these other guys. Drew Steckenrider, who people had talked about, I think, for some closes, just no. not just not thrown hard enough. Um, same thing with whoever Will Vest is, whoever Anthony Mishowitz, Misiewicz, and Paul Sewold. Like, I guess they're getting innings. They're all appearing in games, which is confusing, <laughs> but they're just not throwing hard enough to do it. So you just want to make you? Do you just want to take? Just would you like to take Kendall Graveman as the hardest thrower against the? field so that's basically what i'm i think that's essentially what i'm advocating for in all of this is that look for the hardest thrower make sure nothing's funky in how in the run over time uh kendall graveman is a little bit confusing because he doesn't always throw a four seamer he's this red that has this brownish red thing that has the discontinuities in it Uh uh-huh because that means that if there's discontinuities in these, it means that there are literally games where he came out and didn't throw a four seamer. <laughs> oh wow, junk pitcher. We don't like that. So All right, well, here let's put let's put your money where where your mouth is. Wow. Okay. You're, you're going to put in a board bet. Your bet, and this is the interesting part. Is going to be the second one that I'm going to propose. 
your bet is that the guy who has currently the hardest, who the guy who is currently the hardest thrower of these two, will get the most saves. Yes. Or do you want save opportunities? No, I I want actual saves. saves. Okay. I will let you take the guy with the second the second hardest thrower as a push, and then I get the field. Okay. That also includes if they trade for someone. You're not getting a push. I get it. <laughs> uh, neither of these teams is in any position to trade for anyone, so I'm I'm okay with that part of the deal. And we'll call it a we'll call it a push if um, uh, if uh, I guess either of the hardest throwers is traded. Okay, fair enough. Voided. We'll we'll void the, the void bet. It. I like both those. I like that. So you have Jorge Alcala and Hansel Robles. Jorge, you have Jorge Alcala, Hansel Robles for the push, and then you have um, Kendall Graveman with Rafael Montero. Oh no, JT Charcois. JT Charcois is my is my push. So Rafael, I hate your uh, yeah. I don't really like being on Rafael Montero, but Kenyon Rafael Montero and Ken, Kenyon Milton. I mean, it, there's a chance as part of the field. That's a good that's a good bet as part of the field. One of those two guys might end up with you know fastest. Might end up being the fastest guy. Well, I also agree with Hardest that throw. possibility. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I think that about brings us to the review session. Manny Machado. When you go to his Baseball Savant page and you look at his MLB percentile rankings, it is so much red. <laughs> it's just a sight for sore eyes compared to all these guys that we've been looking at on the shortstop where it's just progressively gotten a little bit worse. All of a sudden, we're back to like, this is a hitter. Average exit velocity, 98, 8th percentile. Max exit velocity, 96th percentile. Hard hit percent, 96 Love it. You love to see it. Sprint speed, 24. That is his one place where he is below average. Did he get How injured some year? Gonna... What happened? Because when he was coming up. He did. He No, he did. He did. Remember, there was a year that it was, I think it was like both knees. He was like out for the entire year. Mm. He's like both knees got destroyed. Oh, yeah. And he's, and he's, was it 2014? Yeah, 2014. Okay. And the next year, he's like, no, I can still steal bases, 20. Then never again. Because when because when he came up, it seemed like it was like wow, this guy is full on five tools, like five tool everything. Yeah. And you know he's still actually getting a couple stolen bases. So let me give you the stats here: seventy two games so far this year. Wow, man, we're deep in the season already. Uh, <laughs> two hundred ninety nine plate appearances in those two hundred ninety nine. So maybe factor two bump these for the full season. 12 home runs, 49 RBIs, 39 runs, 8 stolen bases, and a 261 average. That's below his normally heady pace. So I'm wondering, are we going to see some mm-hmm. positive regression here? I think so. Yeah. I think the whole San Diego team outside of Tatis is sort of underproducing right now. I think this this will be the time. Summer, summer NL ballparks. Just yeah. where the ball's going to fly on him. There's... I mean, you want to, at the end of the season, I would be very surprised if he doesn't get 28 home runs. Oh, yeah. Uh, alone 30. Can he, can he break 30? He can break 30 because he can get hot at any point. A Machado hot streak is pretty good. I mean, and he hasn't, he hasn't had, I, would, I think, a bona fide one yet this year. So I would say 
we're we might be might be due for something really good out of him and the whole team is kind of due so like which means like his runs and rbis numbers are also going to be positively affected by the team like turning around a bit he is insanely durable except for that 2014 season look at this 162 games 2015 157 2016 156 27 in 2017 uh 162 2018 even with the trade (laughs) 156 in 2019 all 60 games last year man that is that's a huge piece of value man i forgot about the dodgers machado yes yeah but that's because he's not stealing bases it's a, anymore well at the, at the exactly clip, though, that he did to get it's a good thing the dodgers liberated him from baltimore <sighs> well too too late for um dustin pedroia that's been that's been shown this week. I thought that was pretty funny. We're doing Machado, and it's like I, dust, there's this Dustin Pedroia like appreciation day and stuff. <laughs> and it's like Machado's name has to be brought up. Absolutely, but I think you know they needed they needed to get him out of he needed to get out of Baltimore. Um, it's like it's like similar to the what we should be having like the free Mike Trout campaign. <laughs> Trevor Story, free Trevor Story. Yeah, absolutely. The Trevor Story's numbers are going to go down. Yeah. Once he leaves. I mean, Baltimore was a great place for him to play. Yeah, it's just the team was so crap around him. It'd be great. It could I mean Machano in Baltimore, man, wow, that would be whew, instead of instead Back of home base Petco, man, that would be fun. <laughs> yeah. Um he guy that you trade for though, he is a, so we if you're thinking if the Machano owner this year is down on him. Oh, trade for him. Trade for Absolutely. Hundred percent. Right I would lose. I would lose a lot of resources to try and get Machado if the owner was down on him. Would Would you trade the guy who we're doing next week? Yes, I think that's a brilliant trade, Simeon. For if if you could swing Simeon for Machado, <laughs> well, honestly though, this isn't the worst. It's not the worst thing, right? Because Simeon is way overproducing, which we'll talk Wide's about. Which down. we'll talk about next week. And if you found the owner was down on Machado, man, if you could have had Simeon for the first half and Machado for the second half, I bet that would be, <laughs> that would be. See, that's, that's how you win. That's how you Well, win. that's exactly <laughs> how you win. I mean, well, maybe, maybe Machado will go down, but of course he's so durable. It, it seems unlikely. I, and Machado just looks good. He just looks like a good baseball player. Like you watch him and mm-hmm. you're like, that's a good baseball player. <laughs> Moves around like a ball player. <laughs> yes, he, he does. Uh, spits like a ball player. Uh, yeah. That's also true. No, I feel I feel very confident watching him. That like, yeah, this is this is a sound fantasy investment. Of course, the part of the reason that we have him here is that he's not really shortstop eligible. <laughs> we kind of we kind of were sneaky. Depend depends on your league. Absolutely. Anything more that we want to talk about him? I mean, I don't know how much more. Would you keep, I don't know how much a keeper, right? In whatever league that you own him, in, that you have keeper eligible, you'd keep him. He's got to be. He's got to be. I mean, he's he's. It's funny. He's been around for so long, but he's twenty eight. <laughs> I mean, That's yeah, so frustrating. You got you got at least, and he's so durable. You got at least three, four more good years. Absolutely, keep him. Four more great years. Yeah, Whatever. great years. Yeah. All right. Well, we've already mentioned him, but who are we doing this week? Marcus Simeon. All right, time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Fantasy Tools, Mind the Sea. Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, Mind the Z. 
all I've got left is worst of luck to you, buddy. Worst of luck to you too. Yeah.